A little Edwin Starr by request going out to Zach. Chimed in on the Quality Farm Supply text line, 1108, RWRC Radio. Listed and sold by Dustin White Realty live here in the Unico Bank Studios right here on the Ticket Radio Network and rwrcradio.com on this free for all Friday. Oh, yeah, still getting a lot of responses on today's Calmer Solutions. Hot topic of the day. What is the best food or concession item that you have ever had at a high school football game? I know my man Chris going to be able to chime in on this. I love it. Uh, over on the social media sideline on the Facebook, uh, my man Chris Budgen, he he echoed my sentiments earlier. He said the Frito Pie at Newport Games. I'm telling you, if you hadn't had one, they're legendary. Uh, I've had many of them over the years. Um, EPC always serves up the food awesome. Uh, every time I've ever been there, they they feed you well. Uh, let's see. Marcus Carlton chiming in. He says, barbecue nachos at Westside. I'll put them up against any high school. <laughs> uh, let's see. Jess Lowe says, Cheetos with nacho cheese. Uh, it's that time. It is the season, right? It's the time of year. There is nothing. There is absolutely nothing like walking up to a stadium, whether it's high school, college, or NFL, smelling the food, feeling the fans, seeing the stadium in the distance, and knowing it's football season. And uh, nothing says football season like uh, my dude about to join me on the Back in Action Hotline. Yes, oh yes, Mr. Chris Hutchison. Like we always do, we do this year in, year out. What is up, my friend, Mr. Sports Director of KIT? I'm going to be odd because you had mentioned, you know, the, the, the best high school, best fared high school stadiums. I usually don't eat at high school games. That's terrible. Because I'm running all over. I know the you're busy. Multiple games. I know it. I know yeah, you're I'm busy. busy. I know you're busy. So kind of, I, I, I'm one of the I'm one of the odd ones because usually I've honestly kept kept the same Friday high school routine for I goodness I don't know ten years maybe where I'll eat something for lunch and I don't eat anything else until after I finish like putting FFN so I, like I eat lunch. And then I'll eat like a really, really, really late dinner, like at eleven thirty or midnight <laughs> or something like that. So like, I, like usually I'm at games and stuff. I'm like, I'm here to get the video I need, mm-hmm. and then because usually I shoot two to three games every night. So it's like, let me just get the video I need, and like at stop one, let me drive over to stop two, get the video I need, drive back to the station, and try to put the 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 greatest jigsaw imaginable known as football friday night yeah no doubt hey i'll tell you too and i i can relate um all my years of calling games if i if we had any technical issues or if when we got to the press box there wasn't something ready like it should be and it's time to go on air it was the same for me chris there wasn't no food it was if i didn't eat before i'm eating sometime late after when i get back and and get settled it was the same for me. I've been fortunate uh, many a times, though, to to get there. If I wasn't broadcasting, somebody in, inevitably will roll up to me and say, "JC, you got to try this," because a they know I'm a foodie, so they they know that. B they know I, it's going to be hard for me to turn down some food because I I just I love trying food in different places. But um, I, I'll tell you, Chris, it's just the atmosphere, the time. It's here. Got a little sneak peek of it last week, but. It's in full effect tonight. Oh, yeah. I mean, and now the games really count. And 
it's odd because for, for you've got a couple teams where tonight is their only non-conference game of the season. So, for example, Green County Tech, their only non-conference game is the Bell game, which I don't know. I've heard it's kind of a, a, a game of some quite significance with a fancy hardware on the line. But that's their only non-conference game. Golden Eagles have a bye week after this week, and then they start the, the gauntlet of nine straight nine straight games in the 6A East. So you have different stakes for a lot of folks. For some folks tonight, you've got a rivalry game. Then you've got this is your only non-conference kind of test for four quarters to kind of see what you really have for conference play. Then for a lot of other teams, it's let's roll out, let's see what you have. And you've got a couple weeks to kind of tinker and work with your squad before the season really starts with conference play. No, no doubt. There's there's no doubt about it, and and obviously, uh, you know, with with conference shifts and whatnot, uh, it's <laughs> it's an interesting dynamic for uh, for some of these high school football programs. Um, you know, it's it's definitely an ever changing uh, situation when it comes to these schedules. But all right, so Chris, let's let's highlight let's highlight FFN and and where you guys will be tonight, and uh, of course, uh, tell the uh, listening fam out there uh, what all they can catch and and win. Yep, no problem. Our game of the week, which was a tricky one to pick. I had a couple options to work with. We're going with Marion at Win. It's an underrated rivalry in this area. They play each other first game of the year every year, and what's been weird about it, four of the last five meetings have been decided by six points or less. I believe it's it. Kind of, <laughs> it, it, it. It's a quirky they It's one of those rivalries where both schools kind of don't like each other. It's like you know, Marion is known for playing West Memphis every year, but I would say just about number two in that rivalry list for them is win. They, they, this rivalry goes back quite a bit, but, you know, Marion reached the 6-8 state semifinals last year. It was kind of one of the surprise stories of the season, and the Patriots return a whole lot of that talent back. Then on the flip side, win, you know, known 5A power, good chance to be in the mix to win the 5A East title again this year and make another playoff run and Delta Swarm option early and often. So you'll have a great clash of styles tonight between wins option and Marion's pretty much spread aggressive offenses. So it should be very entertaining ball game there. We're going to have at least 12 games on the air tonight. And then what we'll do this time this year that's a little bit different is called FFN Overtime. I've picked three or four games that, well, it's hard to squeeze in 15, 16 games in 15 minutes of airtime. So I've picked about four games that we'll have on our website, KAIT.com and the Region 8 News app that will air later tonight. It's uh, Pocahontas at Southside, Searcy at Batesville, uh, Portageville at Corning, and then Pig at Gosnell. We're going to have those as kind of web exclusives. But – as for the rest of the FFN, I guess, TV slate that you'll see tonight, we'll have, we'll have Jonesboro at, excuse me, Jonesboro at West Memphis, Nettleton at Mountain Home, GCT Paragold, Westside at Brooklyn, Harding Academy at Valley View, Truman at Hoxie, Highland at Walnut Ridge, Rivercrest at Manila, Newport at Osceola, Harrisburg at Cross County, and then another quirky story is, uh, Izzard County, the Cougars were, have been a 1A basketball powerhouse mm-hmm. for too many years to count. Tonight is their first football game. The Cougars are launching an eight-man program, and they're going to 
uh, take on Mountain View. I profiled ICC earlier this week. You no, know, the story aired earlier this week. I went up to Brockwell last week. Got to check out the stadium, which I mean, really, really nice. Really, really nice venue off of Highway Nine. It's a hike to get there, but once you see it, it's really nice. It's I would compare it. it it's it's better than some two A and three A stadiums I've been to in my travels. So. It's definitely an interesting story with Izzard County launching football after all these years being a powerhouse in basketball. It's really a fascinating story. Yeah, no, it is. And I think there's uh, – I was looking earlier today, Chris, I think there's four games uh, on the docket today in eight-man football. Yeah, and it's been, a, it's been a slowly, steady progression. I want to say this is about year three or maybe year four, where in this area, Rector was kind of the – I guess the guinea pig. They were 11 mm-hmm. for so many years, and then they made the transition over to an eight-man, and they've had a ton of success. The Cougars, you know, reached the state semifinals mm-hmm. last year. They've got a road game this evening, and then it's a little bit before their first home game. I think it's like September the 9th or the 16th. But in terms of eight-man in general, like, you slowly seeing a whole lot more schools on this side of the state embrace it. I think right now we've got Rector, You've got Augusta in the eight-man no tally. You've got Izzard County. You've got Cedar Ridge, and you've got Midland. And eight-man has really been a boon for those programs where numbers have been an issue for a lot of years for a lot of programs all over the state. And so giving folks this kind of eight-man kind of window to kind of jump into where it's been kind of different. You've had schools like Mountain View. Mountain View has been 11-man for a long, long time. They're transitioning to eight-man. So it's been kind of a mix where you, you have schools that have struggled with numbers drop down to eight-man and maybe bolster them back up and jump back in. Izzard County is the one, I think, the, the first school to launch football and started as eight-man from the jump. So they're kind of the, the guinea pig, to say the least, and maybe if ICC has some success, maybe we see some more schools across Arkansas, maybe take that plunge. Maybe you're 1A and 2A powers. Yeah, no, no doubt. I, I was looking at the rest of the schedule. Brinkley at Marvel. Uh, let's see, Rector at Marshall. And then, of course, you mentioned Mountain View at ICC and then Parker's Chapel at Spring Hill. I was just looking at that because it is. It's kind of, as you said, Chris, it's pretty fascinating uh, to see that transition in both directions. Some who didn't have football starting with eight and then some that did have traditional 11-man football, now going to eight-man football. Uh, very, very, uh, very, very interesting, to say the least. But it's awesome, though, with numbers being a problem, that uh, there is a solution at least. And so, uh, yeah, it's pretty incredible. I haven't seen eight-man in person. I've just seen video that people mm-hmm. have shot it. So I've been wanting to really, like, take in an eight-man game myself this year. I may try to, especially this year with – you know, for us, Rector's the closest drive, so maybe there's an opportunity there for me to do that this year, but I don't know. Yeah, Plus no there. doubt. No doubt about it. Well, of course, uh, you know, so we talk a little high school action. Let's let's shift gears a little bit. And uh, one week from tomorrow, uh, of course, we'll be present. Arkansas State, Grambling State, uh, the season opener for the Red Wolves. Uh, your early thoughts uh, of fall camp and uh, and year two for Coach Butch Jones. Before all that, I just hope Grambling State's band shows up. Because as a swack aficionado of me covering that league for a couple years, I'm going to be really sad if they uh, Grambling State. I, I, I was told early <laughs> on that they were going to be here, but I haven't gotten confirmation of that because I hope so too. Yeah, because 
That will be one of those few instances where usually I shoot first half and drive back to the station, and Logan does second half. That may be one of the few instances I'm going to stay there, watch the halftime show, and then leave. Right. <laughs> it's incredible. So it is. It's it's an experience. I mean, that was one of my favorite things in Mississippi to cover. Everybody look, looks at me odd. They're like, you can have the chance to cover SEC football and egg balls. So I was like, yeah, those are awesome stuff, but like. Swack bands were something just different. It was just it was a game, and then it was the game behind the game, as folks usually say. But going back to A State Fall Camp, it's it's been fascinating to watch what I've been able to watch because you're seeing a lot more explosive options with the offense. I'm not going to say explosive plays because it's kind of hard to tell that. We, mm-hmm. You know, we haven't really had a chance to watch the scrimmages and stuff like that, but. I would say more explosive options. A whole lot of folks have probably talked on your show and so many others about Champ Flemings and the, the added dimension he can add to the offense. Kind of in that J.D. McKissick role where are like, like, what's Champ Flemings' position? Football player. Just put him at anything. So you have a chance to may see him at running back. Have a chance to probably see him at wide receiver. I wouldn't be surprised if we see him returning, you know, kicks and punts at some point during the season along with Johnny Fleming. So – Adding that element. Now, the thing I've been you know, kind of noticing a little bit and just wondering and just kind of seeing is you know, how the offensive line has been shaping up. And it's tricky. In these, like looking at practice so far, it's been kind of, kind of neck and neck a little bit. You no, know, the team sessions I've been able to watch, it has been back and forth where it's like some days the offense has the upper hand, sometimes the defenses have the upper hand. So I honestly don't think we're going to get a good gauge of this football team until the Memphis game and the Old Dominion game. The Grambling game will have a little bit of an idea. Maybe we get a little bit of an idea of the Ohio State game, but it's such differing levels of competition on both ends mm-hmm. of the spectrum. Sure, yeah. So you're wondering where the true gauge is going to be. It's like, okay, where's, a, where's the temperature for A-State football? I really don't think you're going to see it until – the Memphis game and the Sun Belt opener against Old Dominion. I think those two games will have a better idea of like, okay, where can this team go this year? Yeah, no, it's that's a fair assessment, and and I've I've gotten to see quite a bit. And here's here's what kind of some of the takes that I have. Um, I have told people that I believe that James Blackman is as comfortable as I've ever seen him since he's arrived on campus at Arkansas State. Um, if that offensive line, which I'm going to say this, in my personal opinion, is currently about seven deep at the moment um, with a lot of youth and a lot of inexperience behind that. Um, I, I think the running back group is the best group on this football team. By far, it's not even close. Um, you know, the wide receiver core is going to have to stay healthy because it's fairly thin, especially with any any reps whatsoever in playing time. Um, there is there is definitely uh, a, a guy that I think is going to have an extremely high upside. He reminds me of a young Omar Bayless, um, a young Corey Rucker, and that's Deverick Jenkins. I think he's going to surprise a lot of people uh, if he can if he can you know hit the curve uh, well because he is a true freshman out of Miami. Um, but I think if if the the ground game is established, and you know Chris, that's been an issue for about three years. If the O-line can, can hold up, can keep the uh, wide receivers healthy, I, I have no problem saying this, and it's recording right now, and it is the 26th day of August. James Blackman could be Sunbelt Conference Player of the Year. I believe that 
a thousand percent what you said about Champ Flemings. He's different. That guy is absolutely uh, – he is a playmaker. He's got to have the football. I've talked to Coach Heck about that. You, you got to put the football in his hands the moment you run out of the tunnel, period, because that's just how, how good that that dude is. That's what I've seen on the offensive side, Chris. We can talk about the defensive side. Just kind of your thoughts on that. Defense is honestly going to be predicated around – it's kind of the flip side. Offense, can you protect – can you protect James Blackman? Defense, can you create more pressure? Where it was kind of a feast and famine situation last year. You lined up Kavon Bennett on the defensive line, and it was kind of hit or miss. Like, if he got to the, if he got to the, like, got past that first level, he's going to, like, make an impact, make damage. But then sometimes it was just a matter of, you know, secondary, which was kind of exposed a whole lot during last season, and that second level at linebacker. But, like, what I've noticed so far, there's a lot more consistency now on the defensive line and at linebacker. Secondary is still going to be a question mark for me just because I haven't seen enough in the team sessions that I've seen. So I don't want them to say, hey, secondary is going to be much improved. I don't really know. I haven't had a chance to kind of watch them as much. Most of the team sessions I've been honestly looking at line play and then linebacker play and just kind of figuring out how did this look like compared to last year. And it's a whole lot better. I will say that. Now, having more options on the defensive line, you know, you got Thurman Gathers in there. Maybe, maybe you see a Kavon Bennett situation where he plays multiple positions on defense. That honestly would be my suggestion, is not just pigeonhole him at linebacker. I would move him around kind of like what you could do for Champ Flemings on offense. I would move Kavon Bennett to as many positions as possible to kind of keep the offense guessing and give them as many kind of question marks as possible, not knowing what's coming at them next. Well, and and I'll say this. I, I mean, I, I agree with you. Um, you're going to have to to move KB around. Um, you know, he is he's obviously uh, an, an incredible playmaker, and he's going to be relied upon quite a bit uh, with this football team. Um and, and I'll say too, from from a secondary perspective, and what I've what I've seen, um, you know, the the quarterback of the backside of that defense uh, undoubtedly is Eddie Smith. Eddie Smith has been uh, incredible since since the moment he's arrived uh, on campus, in my opinion. Um, I I've enjoyed what I've seen um, from Eddie, uh, no doubt about it. He has been he has been awesome. Uh, another guy that I think that has had a really, really good fall camp has been Trey Thomas. He is he has really looked good to me uh, for Arkansas State. And, of course, you know, think about it, Chris. I mean, you think about that secondary, and you're going to have to rely on guys like Sammy, Sammy Johnson, uh, who got hurt towards the end of the year last year. Uh, but he was, you know, he was obviously playing pretty well at that time. Um, but are there question marks on this team? 100%. Hundred percent. There's there's no doubt about it. But I think the the one thing that I will say, Chris, is from a talent perspective, this roster is is definitely more talented uh, at this moment than it was a year ago. There's a lot more potential in all three phases, and it's kind of odd to say three phases because another question mark is special teams, where we really don't know who's going to be punting, we don't know who's going to be kicking. And, I, and I've told folks this, I think special teams is going to be the difference between this team having a chance to be bowl eligible or not, not just offense and defense. It's, you know, it was one of the things Butch Jones said last year 
And at first when he said it, I was like, uh, I've heard this before, but I don't know. The hidden yardage, where, it, as bizarre as it sounds, Arkansas State had two wins last year, but had an All-American kick returner, which is still such a dichotomy. It's kind of the, one of the oddest things that you'll probably ever see in college football. But it was true, where special teams at times was a strength for the Red Wolves in, in the putting game, the work Ryan Hansen did, and now – He's battling with a Big Ten transfer from Nebraska for the starting punting spot. And then kicking game. We're about a week away from the opener. And it's pretty much a a battle there for the kicking spot there. So we'll have to see that. But in terms of across the board, I think it's about 65, 68 newcomers. And a whole bunch of them newcomers are going to be playing day one against Grambling. So there is a lot more... There is a lot more potential. Last year, going into last year, honestly, had no clue what the team was going to do in terms of record, things like that. And I think I said last year, with the schedule being as tough as it was, six wins were doable. And honestly, this year, I would say the same thing. Six wins is absolutely doable with what you have on your schedule, who you avoid on the schedule, and the the potential and the upside with year two in this game. And in the case of James Blackman, this is the first time in his odyssey of a college football career that he has had the same offensive coordinator for back-to-back years. So every year he was at Florida State, he had a different offensive coordinator each year. So that is another factor on how much more comfortable he is with the scheme. And we've noticed things at practice that could be a little bit different offensively here and there. We're not going to give everything away because we want to be invited to practice again. (laughs) But – there's some elements there that offensively that I've noticed. It's like, okay, this is going to be a little bit different than last year. Maybe some elements that some folks may have noticed near the tail end of last year in that ULM game. Folks being used different options, things like that. So seeing that and then seeing the potential there on defense, I think six wins is six wins is very doable this year for the Red Wolves. Well, and I'll say this too. I was talking to somebody the other day, Chris, and I said, look, I said I'm trying to look at this saying super objectively. Um, you know, when I when I look at their schedule, they're probably going to be favored seven games. You know, just, just looking at Vegas, they're probably going to be favored in about seven games. You know, if you win the games that you're supposed to win and you sneak out one or two that you're not supposed to, we could be talking about a crazy season, you know? Um, but... There is so many unknowns with this football team because the lack of reps, the lack of experience that we really, really don't know. But, you know, I was just kind of combing through the schedule and I'm like, okay, Grambling State going to be favored in that game Uh, at Old Dominion, probably ULM, probably Uh, even James Madison, probably at Southern Miss, iffy because it's on the road, Uh, UMass, yes. Texas State, depends on where we're at at that point, probably. I mean, if you can take care of the business that you're supposed to take care of, this there, there's no team why this – there's no reason why this team shouldn't be bowl eligible. And with the Sun Belt as wide open as I can ever remember since the, the Sun Belt has started going to division play, where you can make an argument, five teams in that division could win the, the Sun Belt West and it wouldn't sound ridiculous. And I would put Arkansas State in that in that kind of mix of five teams that you obviously have a shot at. I think Louisiana has a shot. They should be the favorite just because of who you have returning back. 
But Troy's kind of the wild card. Them moving, honestly, of everybody in the Sun Belt, Troy was the biggest winner in realignment moving over to the West. So Troy coming over. You have no idea how they're going to be with a new head coach, but they have an all-American caliber linebacker in, in Carlton Marshall there. Then Southern Miss is kind of a wild card moving over in, in realignment. And then Arkansas State in the mix there. I think South Alabama has the capability of winning the West Division. So with all those teams in the mix, and then Texas State with Lane Hatcher now being named the starting quarterback, in case folks didn't know about that, and then ULM with Terry Bowden, who gave folks scares, a whole bunch of scares last year, it's a wide-open division. And do not be surprised if a bunch of so-called upsets happen in division play. But in the case of Arkansas State, stacking their potential against everybody else, they have a shot to win the division if things fall in line. Now, with the rest of the schedule being the way it is, you know, Old Dominion and James Madison are wild cards to me because James Madison is an FCS move-up, but they're not the typical FCS move-up. I would kind of liken them to when Georgia Southern moved into the league and you had a whole bunch of – you had a lot of potential there and you had a whole lot of, like, things installed there, as current A-State O-line coach Andy Quine can tell you, because he's in that Georgia Southern on that team – they kind of won the Sun Belt out of nowhere early on. I see James Madison with a lot of potential there moving up and the infrastructure. They can compete right away. Old Dominion, I have no idea what they're going to do because, well, for folks that haven't seen this, their offensive coordinator stepped down earlier this month. They so did. we have no idea what they're going to look like this year. So, and honestly, I think the Memphis game is winnable. Because Memphis has a lot of question marks mm-hmm. coming into this year because they replace a whole lot of talent. And the, 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 the seat for the Tigers head coach is getting a little bit warm considering how the American Athletic Conference has kind of looked the last couple of seasons. So, you know, seven is six, six, seven wins is absolutely doable this year. I agree wholeheartedly. Well, brother, uh, before I let you go, uh, let the the listening uh, and viewing fam know uh, one last time about FFM and 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 of course uh, the new uh, overtime. Uh, football Friday night comes on at ten fifteen. K A I T K A I T dot com Region Eight News app. Then after the show ends, I'll start working and editing FFM overtime highlights. They'll air. 11.30 maybe-ish, 11.45, some, sometime like that on KIT8.com and on the Region 8 News app. So excited for another season of high school football, uh, season 29 of FFN. And I think I've been involved in, a, in quite a few of them. I ain't going to say 29 of them. But <laughs> not it's not, quite, a, it's not quite 29 yet. <laughs> but, yeah, it's been a few. So it's always exciting to kind of put this show together. I mean, it is the – it's one of KIT's flagship shows, so being in charge of it is a uh, with great power becomes great responsibility. So I tried to do the best I can to kind of give folks around here the, the high school football coverage they deserve. And this time around with 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 a uh, another member of the Hutchinson family too. Yeah, with uh, uh, Peyton, yeah Peyton and Lucas, they'll stay up late to watch. They'll stay up late, well past their bedtime to watch us. <laughs> That's right. That's exactly right. All right, brother man. I appreciate you. As always, we will certainly cross paths. You be safe out there tonight, and you guys continue to do the hell of a job you do. Thank you kindly. See you next time. All right, buddy. That's our man, Chris Hutchison, sports director of KIT. I always love catching up with Chris, and he and I cross paths a lot. 
a lot. Uh, great friend is Chris Hutchison, and I uh, appreciate him jumping on. And Yeah, we went a little long with it, but that's all right. We got high school football talk in there. We even talked a little eight-man high school football. We talked a little A-State uh, Red Wolves as well. Uh, also, uh, let's see. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Adam Stone chiming in on the uh, social media sideline on the Twitter. He says, JC said, Our, uh, ICC's football coach Jared Johnson was raised here in Jonesboro and played football for Nettleton. He was our quarterback, and he was a good one. Led us to the third round of the playoffs in 1997. There you go. Yes, sir. Appreciate the tidbit. And uh, as always, hit me up. Social media sideline. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. It's 1136 RWRC Radio. Listed and sold by Dustin White Realty. Live here in the Unico Bank Studios right here on the Ticket Radio Network and RWRC Radio.